Good morning, Snoqualmie Valley Bible Church. Uh, we are kicking off a series on the Protest- Protestant Reformation because October 31st, uh, mostly known as Reformation Day, I believe. I, I, I think there's something else that goes on that uh, day on, of October 31st, but it's, it's Reformation Day. And uh, 500 years ago from this coming Reformation Day was the day that Martin Luther kicked off uh, sparked and ignited the Protestant Reformation by nailing his 95 Theses, uh, which was really an argument against indulgences against the door at Wittenberg Castle. So let me, let me tell you just about my, my uh, the history of understanding with Roman Catholicism. A number of years ago, I worked under a Roman Catholic teacher and one day she asks me, what, what is the difference between you and me? What, what, what's the difference between Catholics and Protestants? And I can't remember exactly what I told her, but what I can remember is that, A, I wasn't prepared to answer the question. And while, I, while some things that I said were true, my, uh, I, I said things like, well, my church preaches the Bible and, and I have faith in Jesus. But most of what I said was not concise. Uh, most of what I said was not to the point, and I remember walking away from that encounter having no confidence really in, in my own theology, in my evangelism, and certainly not in the impact that I had with my boss, and I think she felt the same because that was the first and last time that she ever discussed uh, theology with me. And a part of my problem was that, was that I, like I think most Christians and most, uh, most, in most churches today, is that I was not equipped with my knowledge of church history, and particularly that of the Protestant Reformation. If you become familiar with the Protestant Reformation, you will know why you are not a Catholic. I didn't know what it meant to be a Protestant at all, other than, other than it meant that, A, I'm not Catholic, and B, I don't care what the Pope says. That, that's that's what I thought, why I thought I was Protestant. Protestant means uh, a protester, but I, I had no clear idea what I'm supposed to be protesting or why. And I certainly, I mean, what really matters is being able to point to the scriptures to explain why you believe this or why you do that. And certainly, I was not able to do that. So our aim in this series on the Reformation is to fix that problem of ignorance and that lack of preparedness. And Carl and I want to introduce you to the, to the importance of the Reformation, the relevance of the Reformation, and some biographical information of its key figures. And most importantly, uh, using some time from the pulpit, we want to explain from the Scripture, not from man, not from tradition, not from a denomination, not from, uh, from an institution, but from Scripture, why each of the five tenets of the Reformation is biblical. And if they're biblical, then they're binding. If they're biblical, we have an obligation to receive them, to believe them, and to build up our faith and practice on them. So the banners that represented these major changes that the Reformers uh, brought back and rediscovered and brought back into the church are known as the five solas. These are the, these are, uh, the bullet points. These are the banners. These are the creeds that represented the shift in, in belief and theology 
uh, in the Reformation, and they did not develop overnight, and they didn't even develop at the same time or even in the same place. But what, I, what my aim is here today is to give you an introduction to uh, give you a brief overview of each sola, as well as maybe bring up some of the changes and contributions that these solas made in everyday life of a Christian. As we look at the solas briefly today, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the man who kicked it off. And who, who was that man? I, I encourage uh, feedback. Mar- Martin Short? Martin Lawrence? Mar- Martin Luther King? Okay, Martin Luther. And the biographies of each reformer is, 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 going, to be, uh, is going to be given an equipped lesson in and of itself. And I, cannot, I, I, I can only touch Luther as much as I absolutely have to because Luther is precious to Carl. And I don't want to encroach upon, upon his territory. So, but, but I have to for, for just a little bit just because he's the one who, who started it. And really, uh, the first sola, sola fide, came as a result of his uh, study in the, the scriptures. Uh, so, again, I'm, I'm not going to tell you too much about Luther. Uh, Luther tried to excel at monkery. And by monkery, I mean being a monk, doing what monks do. He tried his best to excel at monkery for the purpose of appeasing God's wrath uh, and, and, or ex- escaping God's wrath because he had become increasingly aware of his sinfulness and his sinfulness just kept gnawing at the back of his conscience and no matter what he did, it never went away. So he threw himself into absolutely everything the monks taught would merit God's favor. He, he fasted. He prayed. Oh boy, did he pray. He would sleep without blankets. He would sleep on the stone-cold floors of his very small room. He would deprive himself of food and comforts and pleasures. He, he didn't marry because marrying was, was, was what commoners did. M- marrying was what you had to do if you, if, if, you, if you couldn't control yourself. And he would spend hours and hours of hours and hours confessing his sins to his confessor, uh, sometimes up to six hours a day because he, he was so convinced that if he forgot even one sin, if, if, he, if he failed to confess even one sin, he'd go to hell. Six hours a day, that's almost a full-time job. Well, if he does it seven days a week, that is a full-time job. He would later say, if, a monk, if ever a monk got to heaven by monkery, it was I. Yet the irony, the sad irony, is absolutely nothing he did could appease his conscience. He, he could not sense God's love and God's comfort. All he could sense was God's wrath and anger. Now his confessor, John Staupitz, I love that name, Staupitz, he, he got a little annoyed that up to six hours of his day is being taken up uh, by, by, by one guy. And so he sends him to the holy city. He, Staupitz sends Luther to Rome. Because if, if anyone, I just realized, like, no one's over here. This, 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 this side's not bad. But uh, if there's anyone who can help Luther, it's gonna be, he's going to be in Rome. 
And so Luther goes to Rome and, uh, and does everything that the clergy there tell him to do. He's, uh, he's viewing holy relics. He, they, they had a twig from the burning bush. They had a coin, one of the coins of silver that Judas got for betraying Jesus. Uh, he, uh, and and if, you, if you see the Luther movie, you can, there, there's a scene where there's all these relics, and they have relics for, uh, of, of everything. Uh, a, pro- probably like a thistle from the ark, you know. Of course, there's no way to ever corroborate or verify that these things are anyway rabbit trail. So he he would he would view relics. Uh, he would attend masses. He would uh, climb the Scala Sancta, and that was uh, about a 28 uh, white marble staircase where you would uh, you would you would get on the first step on your knees and recite the Lord's Prayer in Latin, and then you climb up one step. Repeat the Lord's Prayer in its entirety in Latin. Climb up the next step. And you do that for all 28 steps. And when you get to the top, that would take a little bit of time off of purgatory. So he, he goes there and he sees all these other people doing it. And he does it himself. And he, he gets up to the top. His knees are bruised and bloody. And he's weary and depressed. And he gets up and he, he looks around and he says, Who knows if this is so? Who knows if this really did anything? I mean, the, the, the man's depressed. And what's even worse is, is, is he sees the vile debauchery, the, the utter hypocrisy of the rest of the clergy, and, and he, didn't, he didn't know what to do. Like most Christians, they could, they could tell something's not right. Something is very, very wrong with this, but they didn't know what the, what the solution was. So Luther goes back to his monastery. He's even worse. And Stauffitz says, well, I'm not, I can't deal with this guy, so I, I don't know what else to do other than make him a teacher. You know, if, if you can't do, teach, right? So, uh, so, so Luther is appointed to be a teacher of theology. I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. He, th- this guy is losing his marbles, and they make him a teacher. And he, he's made a teacher at Wittenberg, where he's going to stay for the rest of his life. And he begins teaching through Galatians and Romans and some other things, but it's particularly those books where he, he's now encountering and coming face-to-face with Paul's writings concerning the gospel. And he stumbles upon, he, 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 he is slammed into a brick wall of God's righteousness in a good way. And, he, and he, he's wrestling with it. He can't let it go. And uh, particularly Romans 1, uh, 1.17, which quotes, uh, I think, Habakkuk, the, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And Luther says of his conversion, um, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. So that's the righteousness that sinners don't want to encounter. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience. And I had no conscience that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. He says, night and day I pondered until the connection between 
the righteousness of God in the statement that the just shall live by faith. And then I grasped that the righteousness of God is the righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. That's good news for the sinner, isn't it? All he could tell when he's reading about the righteousness of God up until this point is that God is righteous and just and he is not. He is so painfully painfully, shamefully aware. His hand is in the cookie jar, and he knows he's not righteous. But the church is telling him, because he's a member of the clergy, you're righteous. Because you do these acts of penance and these acts of grace, you're righteous. But in his conscience, he knows he's not. And so there's a contradiction. So he says... And, and, and he finally comes to the point where he realizes that Paul is not talking about the, 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 the righteousness of an angry God. He's talking about the righteousness that God imputes to the sinner who has faith. And this is leading into the development or the establishment of sola fide. It's not the works, it's the faith that justifies. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning, and whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, the, the righteousness of God filled him with hate because he couldn't attain it. It, it. it was an accuser to him, the way Paul describes the law as an accuser. Where the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven, if you have true faith that Christ is your Savior, then at once you have a gracious God. For faith leads you in and opens up God's heart and will that you should see pure grace and look upon his fatherly, friendly heart in which there is no anger nor ungraciousness. And that is precisely what Martin Luther, the sinner, who was trying to achieve grace through all this merit, that's what he needed to hear. That's what every sinner needs to hear. He who sees God as angry does not see him rightly, but only looks on a curtain as if a dark cloud had been drawn across his face. So what he's saying is trying to achieve right, God's righteousness through yourself veils God from your face. Because you're going to try to achieve God's standard and you're going to fall on your face every time. It's only through faith. So his conviction about the role and function and faith and salvation, it's pivotal because not only did it free his own soul after years and years and years of meritorious works yielding absolutely nothing. Luther, is, Luther by this point, he's now a pastor. He now has people under his care. And I, want, I had a little exercise I wanted to try. You know, this... I am such a good, I'm such a considerate, gracious person because I am giving you guys the word of God, which is not just given to commoners. Can you guys share? Can you guys share? And can you guys share? And did everyone? Oh, okay. 
Hey, got got to open it up. People, anyone who listens to this is wondering what is he doing. Now, in before Luther, before the Reformation, the Scripture was in Latin. Now, the Church tells you, for you to be justified, for you to go to heaven, you must be baptized in the Church. You must give to the church. You must serve the church. You must, you must serve God through the church. You must do acts of, you must do acts of righteousness. You must uh, give to the poor. You must, um, you know, do these acts of penance and, and, and on and on and on. You do these things. You must do to be justified. Now, what I've just done is I've given you more than the common person ever got in Luther's day. I've given you the scripture. Now tell me, on what basis could you challenge what I just told you about that you must do to be justified using the scripture? You have the word of God in your hands. Well, why not, Don? Daniel, you're a teacher. You are educated. Surely you can... You can reason with me from the scriptures. You have the scripture in your hand. Okay, now let, 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 me, uh, let me help you guys out. Open up your Bibles and turn to Romans 4. Uh, it's, uh, before, it's well before the book of maps, after the, uh, book of the, the page of blank between the intertestaments. Thank you. You mean his Phariseeism? Yeah. Yep. Exactly the same. The, the, there is a uh, a vastly ironic parallel between the Roman Catholic Church and the clergy and the Phariseeism. You know the. It, it, Religious elitism. So, uh, okay, so using Romans chapter 4, I'll I'll, I'll make it easy for you. It's it's somewhere within the first eight verses. Reason with me from the scriptures what is wrong with the concept, with the statement that you are justified because of what you do. So righteousness is a credit to a person because of something they do, right? That's what you said? Yeah. It's not because of him who works, but because of him, but for him who, yeah. You, you, just, you just reason from the scriptures, sola fide. Now, so, so, so he's working through this. And he publishes his, his 95 theses, which was uh, largely a proponent of sola fide against indulgences. And uh, is anyone here a sinner? Is anyone? Okay. Daniel, I, I know you're a teacher, so you're loaded. You work for the public education system, so you, I know you have lots of money. For $500, 
all of your sins can be forgiven. And I'll, you know what? I like you, so I'm actually going to throw in a deal for your wife. I'll give you two of those for 750 So that's, that's basically what indulgences were. It was, it was a piece of paper that would bypass. You know, you, you could do all of, the, all of the do's. You could do, you know, the, the crawling up the stairs on your, on your knees. You could, you know, do the acts of penance and, and everything. Or you can, you know, uh, use your credit card and buy an indulgence and bypass all that and get out of purgatory much quicker. So the indulgences, uh, I, I, I can't remember exactly when they began. It was sometime around like 1,000. You know, they, they weren't, it, it wasn't always a practice. I, I believe it was, as, it was as a result of the Crusades, and they were trying to boost up their, their, their income, uh, their reserves, because the Crusades were just depleting their resources. I think that's when they started. Uh, so there, there were a lot of, by Luther's time, there were a lot of people selling indulgences, but uh, really what, 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 what particularly happened was uh, Rome was trying to rebuild St. Peter's Cathedral, which is a massive, massive uh, uh, edifice, and the, the repair bill was just astronomical. And so the, uh, I think it was Pope Leo X, uh, issued uh, a guy named Johann Tetzel or John Tetzel, and the guy, even by, even by the standards of the of the the priests of the day, like Tetzel was seen as the dirty car salesman. E- even by their standards, Tetzel was a dog, and he's going around, and he. Uh, I'm sure you've heard, you've heard the 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 motto: um, a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. You know, he, so he he came up with that. And you know, there, and he has no shame doing what he's doing. And he uh, he he got even um, he got licensed to sell a super indulgence that was so meritorious. Uh, oh, I, I thought you were get, like just gasping in awe. That was a yawn. Oh, my mistake. Okay. Um, he even was licensed to sell super indulgences, which would um, it would be so meritorious that even if uh, Mary what had been defiled by someone, this indulgence could cover up that act of lasciviousness. If, if someone had, had taken advantage of Mary, the mother of God. So, so Johann Tetzel is, sell, is going around selling these super indulgences, which are better and bolder and greater than uh, pro- probably... I mean, they, 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 were, they were cheap enough that, that, that the common people could sell it. Uh, but the thing is, is people were, and, and, and if I, I'm hoping I'll have time to get into this later, but uh, one of the effects of the Reformation was that it, 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 in, it in, uh, gave an ep- economic um, impetus, a stimulus, because people were spending every penny they had on indulgences, and so they they were affordable enough that you could you, you could buy them, but you're you're gro- you're not going to be able to buy groceries. You're not going to be able to put food, uh, clothes on your kids' back. You're not going to be able to repair the car. And I'm I'm speaking uh, uh, ana, anachronomic, um, anachronism 
I'm using th- figures we would understand. You know, they didn't have cars, obviously. But um, so they were affordable enough that you could buy, but they were, they, everyone was buying them. And, and Luther sees people in his church going out and buying them. And he's, he's just stumbling upon justification by faith alone. And people that he cares about and that he's ministering to are selling their money, thinking that this piece of paper, because it has the Pope's authority on it, is going to forgive their sins and the sins of their loved ones. So Luther is livid. And that's what prompts him to write the 95 Theses and, and post it on the door. And that's how, that's how Sola Fide uh, came about. And I need to kick this into overdrive. Sola, so that's, that's the first one. Um, that, that, that is the first sola. The second sola is uh, uh, sola Christus that came about uh, because Luther determined if we're saved by faith alone, then, then the object of our faith, whatever our, whatever our faith is in, whatever our faith is latching onto, needs to be reliably effective. And so the church had all these means of dispensing grace, but the scripture says that it's Christ alone who propitiates, who who takes away, who expunges our sins. And if we're to be saved, we have to look to Christ alone and not Christ plus anything else. Not the church, not not the priests, and not their sacraments. Paul says in Galatians 5, 2-4, uh, in, refer- uh, in, in response to the Judaizers, Behold I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ is of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Which, if you've, if you've been listening, Martin, Martin and Paul both tried to do that, attain righteousness by keeping the law, and you can't. You have been, uh, you are under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law or by doing, you have fallen from grace, and so you know there. You know, you guys remember math, right? Like algebra class. You know, let let a or let x because you're always looking for x. Let x be any work, any any anything, right? Christ plus x or Christ plus zero equals everything. Equals justification. Equals righteousness. Christ plus x. Christ plus anything. As soon as anything is added on to Christ, the whole thing becomes null and void. That, that's what Paul's saying. That's sola, sola Christus, Christ alone. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, Luther himself even called out to St. Anne uh, in, uh, several years before he converted, but it was God's means of getting him in, into the ministry, in, in, to be a monk. Uh, the, the the people of, of that day were, ex, you know, th- th- so this is coming out of the Dark Ages. People were extremely, um, um, what, what's the word, uh, superstitious. And, and you, there would be a saint for anything and everything. And there's a devil hiding under anything and, and behind anything, you know, so... So then came sola scriptura, scripture alone, because that, that principle determined the basis for concluding who has the authority to say what was binding and what's not binding. 
the Roman Catholic Church had put absolute and final authority in the hands of the Pope and those under the Pope, which, would, which is called the, mag, the magisterium. That's the, that's the school or the, the institution that serves to help the Pope interpreting the Church Fathers, the Scriptures, the traditions. Um, they had the power to authoritatively in, interpret these things. Uh, even church councils, and and the Pope could even make up a dogma. He could create a new doctrine just just out of just out of thin air if he wanted to. And, and a dogma is a is a something that has to be accepted solely on the basis of faith. It doesn't matter if I have scripture or not, or a church tradition, or if I can't quote a church father. If it's a dogma, you have to receive it and believe it. So Luther said as as he was developing. Uh, Sola Scriptura, a simple layman armed with scriptures to believe above a pope or a council without it. As for the pope's decretal or decree on indulgences, I say that neither the church nor pope can establish articles of faith. These must come from scripture. For the sake of scripture, we should reject pope and councils. And at the Diet of Worms, the archbishop, uh, as Luther is being politely asked, to recant, uh, the archbishop tells him, Martin, how can you assume that you are the only one to understand the sense of Scripture? Would you put your judgment above that of so many famous men and claim to know that, and to claim that you know more than they? You have no right to call into question the most holy Orthodox faith instituted by Christ, the perfect lawgiver proclaimed through the world by the apostles, sealed by the red blood of martyrs, confirmed by the sacred councils, defined by the church in which all of our, in which all of our fathers believed until death and gave to us as an inheritance, and listen to this, and which now we are forbidden by the pope and emperor to discuss, lest there be no debate, no end of debate. Did, did you catch that last part? We are now forbidden by the Pope and Emperor to discuss, lest there be no end of debate. That's like that's like a salesman saying, "Don't, don't look at the fine print. It, you, you don't need to. You don't need to look into that." The, the what the Church said is, "We have the authority to tell you what believe. Don't you dare question us. Don't you dare uh, 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 check our research and make sure that we've done our homework." You need to just accept what we say and run with it. And that's, that, that's where Luther uh, gave his, his renowned reply. Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer without horns and without teeth. I, I guess he's saying he, you know, he's, he's, um, he's going to play nice. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes or, and councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against scripture is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. So belief and practice in the church must not be based on creeds or councils or clerics. Not even on common sense or logic or, or intuition or science or new revelation. The, the, the Middle Ages had their mystics, too, p- people who believed God still spoke to them. Belief and faith and practice has to be 
based upon Scripture alone, the inerrant, the infallible, the completely sufficient written Word of God. That is to be our only rule, our standard for faith and practice. So those three developed a little earlier in the Reformation. A couple years later, sola gratia arose uh, as the issue of free will was raised by Desiderius Erasmus, who was a very interesting man. Erasmus is one of the most intelligent men who's ever lived, but he uh, he wasn't a believer. Uh, he he provided the Greek uh, text called the Textus Receptus, which which is the text which the King James Bible was based on. So he he brings up the issue of free will as a challenge to Luther because of some books that Luther ha- had had just recently written. I think it was Bondage of the Will. And uh, Luther, it was ecstatic. He was overjoyed that Erasmus brings up the issue of free will rather than the issue of justification or, or sacraments or all these other things because that is the, that's the frame or the hinge by which the whole issue settled on. Because it, it, it's the issue that determines is salvation solely by grace or does it allow even the tiniest, minutest amount of human achievement or human merit to obtain? Luther knew that if even one ounce of goodness was in the soul, then salvation would be a merit because salvation and grace would then be something that was given because it was due, because there was, because there was some part of man that allowed him to respond to the gospel. But if, but if man is completely dead in his, in his trespasses and sin, then salvation is, there's nothing in him that is able to reach up to God. And then, so then salvation is a gift of grace. And Sola Gratia affirms that even our response in faith, even our ability to have faith and to respond to the gospel is something that God must graciously give. There's nothing in us that deserves to be saved. We don't have the faith on our own and left to ourselves. No one would seek God. No one would be righteous. Kind of sounds like a Bible verse that maybe we say here from time to time, right? That's sola gratia. And then the last sola, sola deo gloria, to the glory of God alone, developed really, um, I believe it was, the, it was the last to develop. It developed as the reformers saw that it wasn't man who deserved the glory, but God, because God is the one who's doing everything. They, they, the reformers saw that every other sola aimed at glorifying God, not man, not the church, not the pope, not the priests, but God. God is glorified when believers are saved as a result of believing in his appointed substitute for sinners. Sola Christus. God is glorified when the authority and inerrancy and infallibility of his word is upheld and revered. Sola Scriptura. God is glorified when believers express their faith that salvation is made effective not by anything they have done or can do, but Jesus alone. That, that one is Sola Christus. I think the first one is Sola Fide. 
faith alone in the substitute God has provided. That's sola fide. And then God is glorified when we, when we understand that salvation is something that 100% God does. God plans it 100%. God achieves it 100%. God applies it 100%. So that, 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 that should give you a taste. And what, we, what our aim to do is in the upcoming weeks uh, for Equip, we're going to be giving you uh, some biographies of the men. There were uh, one or two men who came before Luther that actually helped set the stage. Again, Luther was the one who, who punted the football. And then we're going to look at several men who, were, who lived during Luther's time. Uh, and then there will be, I believe, one sermon dedicated to each sola. And uh, I purposely didn't want to go into Scripture too much for each one because the objective of the sermon will be to demonstrate these these principles are derived from the Scripture. And I don't want to I don't want to steal uh, my thunder or Carl's thunder before uh, prematurely. But just let me just take one more minute and, and tell you just some of the changes that that the Reformation made possible for the everyday Christian. There were massive social changes to everyday life. If if you were considered a commoner, you were nothing. That you really ultimately had no significance in life other than to contribute something to the church. If you happened to become a monk or a priest or a nun, all of a sudden you were you were you're on this level up here. You're something significant. That's where true meaning and true value in life was found. Uh, marriage, uh, marriage and family were viewed as a burden, as an absolute necessity, uh, 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 only as a necessity to, to perpetuate the, the nation. Because of the Reformation, it became a good thing to be a, a father, to be a mother. It, it became a good thing to be a woman. That the things that you do as a, as a mother, as a wife, those have eternal value and those please God. Politics changed. People had to admit that Scripture says every man is made in God's image and every man deserves, every man and woman and child deserves basic human rights. Uh, representative forms of government were created. Free, uh, free market economics were promoted because now, because you've stopped spending every penny you have in giving to the church and buying indulgences, now you can actually afford to put clothes on your kid's back or to, or to put food on the table or to buy, the, buy that new ox because your last ox died. Uh, education changed. The, the Reformation put the Bible in the, the vernacular of the day, the, the, the common language of the day, and allowed the farmer or the construction worker or the ditch digger to, to actually read, learn how to read. Universal literacy was, was encouraged. And all these changes came about because true believers in the Reformation rested power and control from the hands of sinful, greedy, power-hungry officials in the Roman Catholic Church and exposed people to the, to the truth of God's word and the freedoms and the liberties 
therein. I, I think it's good for us to become familiar with the Reformation just so that we can, on some level, appreciate the liberties and the freedoms we have. But even more so, um, I hope you can see why these issues, why these solas are important and why it's necessary to become familiar with them, where we go to in God's word to know what he has said about them and what God has said concerning these issues. So that's... uh, are there, are there any okay tom mm-hmm. well they 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 had to respond in some way because the their hand was found in the cookie jar i mean people could people had the word of god in their hand and they realized the church is not looking like it's supposed to look. The clergy is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, it's questionable whether there should even be a pope. So the, the Catholic Church did have to clean their act up a little bit. But, um, you know, it, the, the, the Catholic Church that, that we know today really looks very little to nothing like the church did back then. You know, if you question the church, you would be put on trial and if you didn't recant, you would be executed. You know, they're, they're too nice to do that now, and they, they know that they, can't, they couldn't get away with that. Um, but uh, what, 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 a lot, what even many Catholics aren't told is that the, in the official Roman Catholic response to the Reformation, uh, it was called the Council of Trent, they anathematized, the, uh, there are several things that they affirm, and they, they anathematize anyone who says one is justified on the basis of faith alone. Now, that's not something your, your typical Catholic is aware of, but a, according to their official belief, anyone who says you are saved, you are made right on the basis of faith alone, that person is damned to hell. That's what, that is the official Roman Catholic position today. So, again, over the years, they have had to clean up a little bit. They're, they're a little nicer. You know, they... They, they try to play according to the spirit of the age, just like anyone else. And, but when you, when you do your research and find out what they really believe, what their, you know, what their soul is are, that's, that's what they believe.